welcome back to another episode of NR1990s, the podcast where your two hosts are ranking all of the alternative albums of the 90s, and that doesn't just mean alternative rock, as we're going to find out this episode. I don't know why I say that, because we've already done a hip-hop record, but um, I'm your host, Natalie, and as always, with me is my co-host, Hadrian. How are you doing, Hadrian? Oh, not so bad. It's been a um, productive day, for me at least. Yeah, no. I don't know. I don't know how much you got done, but... Uh, I did a lot that I can't talk about on this podcast, so... As long as you did something, you know? I did do something. It might not look like I did something, but I did things. Well, let's jump right in, because I'm very tired, because I did tiring things this afternoon. We're going to start off this week with an album from 1992. This is Dead Serious by Das Effects. And if you've never heard of Das Effects, you probably have and just didn't realize it, but... um. I feel they were put on like every mixtape of hip hop in the '90s at some at a certain point, and like at least one video game soundtrack, right? I don't know about that. They were extremely influential for like three years, and they they're best known for guesting on "Check Yourself" by Ice Cube. Yeah, it, that's why it's "Chiggity Check Yourself" because Das Effects invented that style of rapping. Yeah, talk about your entire gimmick getting stolen by the entire industry yeah i mean it was i'm not sure if anyone did it before them but they were the ones to bring it to the mainstream and then crisscross ripped it off and instantly killed it mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and they don't really do it on their subsequent albums <laughs> um not nearly as much as they do on this album but yeah as soon as crisscross rips you off you're you're fucked um, and I would say this is quite the only Das Effects album we would do on this show because their their future albums got a lot more like mainstream hip hop sounding of, mm-hmm. of the time, and they're still good. But this one is so weird and different for for even for the time. Um, it's so Das Effects um, stands for Dre and Stube Effects because Dre and Stube are the two rappers. Um, they started rapping together in 88 and got discovered by EPMD at a talent show, and then they recorded this album. And they didn't win that talent show, but they still got signed. <laughs> it, it, I mean, they won that talent talent show in the grand scheme of things. It's true. Because they got guest on an Ice Cube track, and I bet no one else in that talent show did. <laughs> Very true. But yeah, they called their style of rapping sewage. I have no idea why, but that was just what they called it. Um, which basically, if you haven't heard it, it means you add iggity to the end of words. <laughs> it's very, I mean, it like, it's kind of like what Snoop would, would do a few years later with, you know, for shizzle and the shiznit. Well, for sure. And like that, that has to be where this came from, right? Like it's, and, and I get why they do it. It's like, it can sound very like, to just saying it out loud sounds a little bit like that doesn't sound like it'd be fun at all or it'd be repetitive, but it's about filling for a beat and doing it in a way, because their their style is so rapid fire that like being able to put that syllable in there or those syllables in there, I think really helps their flow. Yeah, and, and like you said, it is, I mean, it does fill out the meter in rhymes and it's just a, I mean, it almost sounds like a vocal tick, mm-hmm. <laughs> but, but it was, you know, it, it's... It's hard to, like, yeah, it's kind of like you say it, just, it, like, describing it and knowing it from, like, Criss Cross and Fushnikens, like, it just sounds stupid, <laughs> but when you hear them do it, it sounds incredible. And they do it with other sounds than just Iggity, but, like, it's, uh, it, you, you need to hear Das Effects do it to really understand why the other stuff is kind of bad compared to it. Yeah, well, it's, their rap is so, like such a a great example of like smart dumb because their lyrics are just stream of consciousness pop culture references for the Mm -hmm. most part like there's a song on this album about shitting your pants and there's a song about like fucking stupid girls and then the rest of it is just them reciting like catchphrases from commercials and shit (laughs) and that sounds like how could that possibly be good until you hear it and it's awesome Yes, and all of that really culminates, I think, in Day One Effects, because, oh shit, is that, that's the song that probably anyone who's not familiar has probably heard in the background of something, and you're like, oh, oh, I know that song. Yeah, that was the big single off off the album, 
Um, I think Mike Checo was a single too. I don't remember what else got released. I may have it in my notes as we go through and I'll see it. But it, yeah, it's it like they kind of okay. So here's a here's a reach. They kind of remind me of E.E. Cummings in a way. <laughs> I, I know. It's not <laughs> that much of a reach. E.E. Cummings' subject matter is very basic for poetry, but it's all about the way he wrote, like, the actual, like, symbols and, and use of punctuation and line breaks and shit is what made it revolutionary. And in, in a lot of ways, DOS Effects is really old school, especially for 1992, but I mean, like, like they want effects is just kind of a old school like uh, nursery rhyme rap. Yeah. But it's done with such a weird, unique style that it instantly stands out from everything else that's like that. And they were also unique for their time in that '92 is you know it's post NWA, it's post the breakup of NWA, so you have Ice Cube out there, you know. And easy in Easy E, who went in very different directions, but Easy E just went extremely hard into the like gangster rap, and Ice Cube went in a more cerebral political direction with with like what NWA was doing. And, and this is absolutely neither of those things. <laughs> no, I, I'm sorry. Every time you say Ice Cube is cerebral, I just think about put your back into it. <laughs> I mean, yes, not every song. But... I know, I know. It's just, I don't know why that's the, the, the Ice Cube song that comes to my brain first. And so I would definitely put this, like, closer to, like, A Tribe Called Quest in, and Diggable Planets in its musical style, especially, even though it's not, like, sampling jazz as much as those as they, those two did. And it's not something that would be, like, an influence on, like what now would get called backpack like backpacker hip-hop but like at the time was like consciousness conscious hip-hop or what you know like like what um arrested development was doing and and to a slightly lesser extent tribe called quest tribe called quest is just better than yeah. than arrested development it's not preachy shitty attitude like like arrested development god why do i keep st stumbling over their name I, like my brain just doesn't want that to be their name uh but yeah dos effects even said like i don't remember the exact quote but it was like we'll never fucking rap about politics or something along those lines it, it's like they just had no interest in that it's like uh there was a quote from earl sweatshirt that i heard that was like the best rappers are the guys who rap about rapping and like that's what dos effects is yes it's it's so pure and it has no agenda outside of look how good our rapping is, and like technically, it, it they are very good rappers, uh, exceptionally. And I I like hip hop. I mean, I like all of uh, many forms of hip hop, but I do like rappers who just do it as a from a hobbyist perspective because you can tell rappers who just have a natural flow have been doing this at parties or with friends for years, and then they turn it into something they record. And then you know the people who have been like hungry going to the the rap battles and start singing about the spaghetti and you understand the difference here and that's okay you can be very serious about rap it's totally cool it's it's a it's an art form be serious about it but there's a grace to i'm just gonna do whatever and if it sounds cool that's my thing and i love that it, it it's it takes the i don't know I don't. I can't think of the the word to say it, but there's a pretension to making your raps incredibly provoking politically or spiritually, and then sometimes you just gotta go. Um, we're gonna rap some nursery rhymes because it sounds cool. Yeah. And the and the end result is yeah that that slaps that sounds great, and it's all it's totally great. I just I just really appreciate rap like this, and we don't get a lot of it anymore. No, and the people who do it get kind of made fun of for it like I, i'm not super up on like current rap but i would say like maybe two chains is more in the <laughs> in the tradition of dos effects than of <laughs> than of nwa oh god and uh, i i love two chains but yeah two chains is great but there are sometimes he raps a line and you go that made the cut that made it into the whole thing <laughs> 
Nikki, 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 there ain't no keys in this doohickey. <laughs> yeah. And bees in the trap. And I'm just like, okay, yeah, songs make money. It's fine. And it's, I, I have a lot of feelings about sometimes rap line, lyrics that just stick out too much. Yeah, there's, uh, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of, of uh, it, well, I was going to mention him and then I completely forgot his name. I think it's just like the rap critic on YouTube. Mm-hmm. And and I feel like he is he gets a little pretentious and kind of like hates on everything that's popular and only likes Kendrick Lamar. But like, that's fair. He he does. My favorite videos of his are when he just goes through rap songs and are like, "How the fuck did this lyric make <laughs> yes. the cut?" But then and it's usually just like analogies that don't make any sense if you think about them for five seconds. But it's really funny. Oh, I need to listen to the rap critic more. I I've gotten to a, a real like trap with his videos for a long time and then stopped and i don't know why but there's a i would say that tyler the creator has some of this playfulness in his work um because i really enjoyed the grinch song he did and obviously people like but he sold out that's a commercial song but you know what that song's oddly compelling and it's a christmas song i can put on a playlist and it sounds the way it does and i go it's a Tyler the Creator song I can play at Christmas. Yeah, and and I I mean you know I'm a Baker All Sweatshirt fan, and I think so, especially some of his early stuff it is has this kind of like silliness to it, um, and and just kind of the odd future guys in general like yeah. are are more in this uh, this tradition, even though again they're almost nobody is as completely frivolous in their subject matter as dos effects as as you can tell right off the bat um because the first song on the album might check it just starts off with a bunch of like references to superhero cartoons mm-hmm. like i uh flickety flame on and i'm making you make the wonder twins deactivate <laughs> But they put you in a good mood. You just hear that and go like, "Yeah, I'm on board for yeah, whatever you've got going." Just bring it on. Yeah. Um, it, I so so for most of the songs because I, I don't really know how how we would talk about this a lot um, outside of just saying what lines we like out of the songs. Yeah. But, like like the it's the the level of intricacy that they get to with their dumb references, like. Uh, in Mike Checo, one of the lines is, see, I be the boogie banger like Esiason's the boomer, like boomer Esiason. Mm-hmm. And I Hawaiian punch the captain, now I'm maxing with Tennille. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> it, it, it's, they're, they're lyrics that once you catch the reference, you go, oh! Yeah, like, it took me a while to get the the Esiason's the boomer, because I, I was having a hard time understanding what he was saying, but... Yeah, once you do, it's like, oh shit. And then my, my maybe my absolute favorite, Afridi freaks the funker, the rough Nestle cruncher, word to arch bunker. <laughs> <laughs> um Yeah, so my check is real good. I mentioned before the last show does have a big old big old F slur in it. So Yeah. That, that's too bad. But that's also the only one on the album, which for a nineteen ninety two rap album is like that's really like an accomplishment that that there's only one homophobic slur on the whole the whole thing. I mean, other overall, like I just enjoyed listening to this. I I do think one firm criticism of it is that it does feel somewhat samey, just because yeah. they they repeat their conventions a lot. They never re like re reference quotes or like or ideas much, but the flow is very similar it has it has that kind of like that weight of old school hip hip hop being trapped in a beat and but it's but it's okay because it, it, everything else is so delightful that you kind of go yeah that's fine i can deal with more of this yeah i mean it kind of like the first half of the album kind of all flows into one song in my head mm-hmm. because you it is kind of just interchangeable like some rappers i feel like they just had like old school rappers would just have like a book full of rhymes and would just go into the studio and like those rhymes weren't meant to be it weren't conceived as being in any greater context it was just like here's a bunch of shit i wrote and then you could just put it over any beat and there wasn't like the level of songwriting that you get out of something like run the jewels um 
Yeah. Where like Run the Jewel songs stand out. Like you you can remember specific songs and their titles. Whereas like this album especially it's so like you said it's very samey the first i think the second half of the album is not as bad about that but the first half is like the beats just really all blend together in my head and and the the flow is like really similar on every song even though it's even though i think they're really technically good rappers it it's like it really could just be like the first half of the album could just be like a, a 20 minute long one track like like the original rapper's delight where it was just like all right here's a beat go and they just wrapped every lyric they had ever written for 20 minutes yeah i mean that's very true on the the history of of rap being recorded because it wasn't supposed to be recorded that was a big that was a big thing that it was supposed to be an in the moment like experience thing you don't make a you don't cut a rap album you you go experience rap and Things had to change. And now when people start rapping, you get some of the same, like, sameness. But there are lots of producers out there being like, okay, we have to change how this sounds. We have to f- we have to make the song stand out. Yeah, and this will make me sound like an old woman, but, like, trap has that, that issue for me. Like, I, I can't differentiate trap songs for the most part. I, I'm not going to argue with you. Yeah, and it's that's not to say I hate all of it, because I don't. But, like... Trap has a formula, and the formula has to be adhered to for it to really qualify as trap. I, I'm not an expert on this, but that's just my what I have discerned from years of living in the South. So then, I, I don't think there's like much really to say about Just a Man. There, there's kind of a cool part where he rhymes a bunch of words that end in O and are vaguely Spanish. Mm-hmm. And that's that's really cool. And ends by dissing Gerardo. <laughs> um, so they won effects, like we mentioned, is the big single. Um, it's very like New York hip hop of this of this era, like with the sort of like really papery snare <laughs> snare hits and stuff. Um, it just gets it just gets in your brain, and you want to listen to it again. I think that's what that's why that song is so compelling, and like. On its, like, rankings, like, that was, yeah, it was a number one U.S. hot rap single, five on the R&B hip-hop single tracks, number one on the hot dance music and maxi single sales, and then 29 on dance music club plays, and then 25 on the top 100. So, like, that song did work. It It is also made probably the only rap song to ever have, like, an extended connect for reference yeah um because just uh it, like there's a line that's because uh, i'm the super califragilistic tic-tac pro and then it like goes on and then it like and a line a couple of a few lines later ends with and that's pretty sneaky sis which is a line from a connect four commercial if, if you don't recognize it it's like the kid loses it connect four and he's like that's pretty sneaky sis <laughs> Um, which if you read the, um, I spent like a whole day just trying to get corrections passed through on Genius for DOS Effects lyrics because whatever like fucking millennial transcribed them didn't get like half of the pop culture references, which to be fair, they're references to extremely ephemeral 70s pop culture for the most part. Um, you know, like the, maybe the, the most, um, obscure one on the record is uh there's a line it's it's also in they want effects but he says uh i'm the vocal vegetarian so stick them up freeze so no parched sausages mom please which is a reference to a parched sausages commercial that even i've never heard of or seen <laughs> but it's i think it, i think that's actually i'm just getting this right now it's like this is mystery science theater the rap album like it's just a bunch of references that were just stuck in these guys brains and they don't care if you remember them as well. Yeah. No, I think that's I think that's a pretty accurate description for what's happening here. Yeah. So so one of the only songs that isn't just like this is Lucy's, which is a song about shit in your pants. Fortunately it only has two verses. But even then it's still fucking great. <laughs> like <laughs> 
it had to have been a dare like oh yeah you guys think you're good rappers but can you do a whole song about just shitting your pants and, and then I, they did and it's fucking awesome i can't help but think that like del the funky homo sapien was very influenced by <laughs> this song in particular <laughs> <laughs> yeah just just some just some i mean it's just two it's only two verses thankfully because i don't think you can do more than that about shitting your pants but like it's it's uh dre does a verse about going out to a club and and shitting his pants and Scoob does a verse about playing basketball and shitting your pants and they're just it's just perfect like you couldn't do a better song about the subject matter. Than yeah, those are the two places you least want that to happen. And yeah. they, have, they have currently occurred. A through line to jizz in my pants. <laughs> on the Lonely Island. Uh, and then that's followed by Dum Dums, which is my least favorite song on the album. I, I don't think it's very good. I, I think mostly, like, the most notable thing about Dum Dums is how much filthier the censorship makes the last verse sound than <laughs> yes. it actually is <laughs> it's like but it has a line that i that for some reason just sticks in my head which is i showed her i wrote her from here to north dakota and then it just goes into this like the rest of the verse is just all censored <laughs> <laughs> which I, think is, I, I think listening to it now it's like it seems to be a choice that they were like oh we're just gonna keep this it's funnier if we do it it is funnier than than what he's actually i mean it's just the rest of the verse is just him describing sticking his dick in a vagina but it's so heavily censored on because we mentioned last episode that unfortunately the version on spotify is censored um i swear to god there is an uncensored version of this album out there and i cannot find it if you have it please tell me um but yes it, it's it, like it just it's like just all backmasking for the rest of that <laughs> verse and it kills me every time <laughs> and it's not even that like he says something about like i pushed in the bush till the lips started parting or something like it's not even that bad but it's just all censored <laughs> um yeah uh so east coast i i love east coast it's east coast and and straight from the sewer are probably my favorite songs on the album yeah my minor they want effects and straight from out of the sewer. So yeah, East Coast is like the second half of the album is like way heavier. Like the beats get way heavier and darker, and the lyrics don't change. So like that's kind of the weird thing about East Coast is it's kind of menacing, but it, it's still that's the line. That's the one where he says, "Tally whacker, I'm dapper, the rootin' tootin' rapper." Yes. So like. <laughs> definitely not a, a serious song despite having kind of a, a dark heavy beat behind it also the song the song where he references parker lewis can't lose which man that that reference instantly dates the album <laughs> but yeah kiggity can't lose like parker lewis um so, yeah uh the only thing i have really for if only is that he, the line where he says flick my dick and take a dip like aquaman he sounds so happy <laughs> to reference on he's like take a dip like aquaman <laughs> it's like he's just so happy to reference aquaman on the song also this that's also the song where he says i got more skills than john hand got talked which is maybe my favorite line on the whole that, album <laughs> i was i was taking a drink and i had forgotten that line was going to happen and then it happened and i had to like actively fight not choking because i was like oh no also the because because he sets it up in a way that there's just a little bit of a a drawn out uh bit with the hancock and i was like yeah, also in that song is the, my other favorite line on the album, and it's mostly for just how he says it. But he's, I figured he fucked up Sanford and his fucking son. <laughs> 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 just so, so good. So again, I'm kind of just going through song by song and saying my favorite lines, but Brooklyn to Teaneck has the line, I got more greenbacks than the land of the lost got slee stacks, which anytime you reference the terrifying nightmare of of Sid and marty croft you you win me over there and yeah so then it's uh, then on to the last song straight out the sewer which is uh, i think it, it holds up the best it, like it, it sounds the least like this very brief period of of like early 90s not gangster rap 
it, and it's mostly just because the beat is so fucking heavy and it has just this fat ass analog bass line. Mm. And they do this cool trick on a couple of the songs where they have like a really long delay on the vocals and so you but they bury it in the background so you can really only hear it on headphones but it's like basically like it it's almost like a round like it gets to the end of the line and then like buried way in the background you can hear the line like starting over and it's just like a really like a 10 second delay or something on the on the vocal track and it's it's really good and it's it's kind of like a um it, like the production on this album is not on the level of the bomb squad but it is that similar kind of just maximalist production that just really does it for me on hip-hop yeah and i mean let's be real other styles of music too but yeah um there's a lot in this album that just comes together in just a nice way it may not be like the best re- representation of this but it's, de- it's definitely like such a unique like overall thing that i think it, uh, it stands out for that like people remember their the style that they're rapping in for other people but they they started it and just from knowing that and going forward with just all the little references and the production style it's just i don't know it's like a hug of a rap album <laughs> yeah it's so fun like it's it, and the, it's it's very fun and that's the upside and the the back half of the album has some great great production I, the downsides for me are we already talked about just the first half of the album really flows together and just like all could be one song which is still good if you just want to chill and just zone out to some music which is fine it has a function but if you note each piece individually then it becomes obvious yeah Uh, there's just not enough variation like i I think the last half of the album it does get a lot better in being able to differentiate the songs but it's it like there's the horn samples on if only it sounded like this or if only whatever the that name of that one is and like and straight out the sewer is is just fantastic the other problem i have with it is that like there's one part where they repeat a line on two songs in a row. <laughs> the plus I call you snaggle if you pussy jab line that he says on two songs back to back. And it's like, did you run out? Did you just run out of things to say? <laughs> he just wanted to say it again, okay? He It's not that even line. a good line. <laughs> it's like, what does that mean? I've never heard the phrase. I've never heard the phrase pussy jab <laughs> outside of this album. Yeah, I'm just thinking you got that pussy on the chain wax. <laughs> So yeah, I I think that they're like technically really good rappers. I love this album. I don't know that I like the sameness of of it kind of does knock it down a lot for me. Um so like the other big like alternative hip hop album of the time that we have on the list right now is is Reachin a New Reputation of Time and Space by Digable Planets, which is at 41. I think this goes below that. Um, I think they're better. Ra- I think DOS effects are better rappers, but I can tell the songs apart on region. Yeah. And I can't on a lot of this album. <laughs> that's fair. I think that's fair. I think that's really fair. Um, so I know that you want to put it below gratuitous sex. Um, I mean, I wouldn't be entirely opposed if you wanted to put it above gratuitous sex. They're completely different kinds of music, but I think they are equal in their fun. Yeah, well, so I want to put it below Pablo Honey. I think this goes, it would be at 44 between Pablo Honey and The Globe. I think it's a little bit better than The Globe. I I don't think it's as good as Pablo Honey because that album influenced everything that came after it and this album influenced Chris Cross and Fushnikens and then well, disappeared. Well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that. I mean, this album has been routinely listed as one of the most influential hip-hop albums of the 90s. Like, it's not, it's, it's fear of, sphere of influence was well beyond that time frame. Yes, it's immediate Im- impact was crisscross, but beyond that, there are rappers who get started today who still owe a lot to to what DOS Effects was doing. So I I think it's I think give it a little more credit than that. I think there are people who who mine the history of this art form and then go like, oh yeah, no, I really like this. Yeah, I still think I don't think it's as quite as good as Pablo Honey. Um That's that's I mean that's fine. I just I just wanted to defend it because there were yeah. people who were very influenced by this who were getting started now. 
Yeah, pro- probably so. It, it's just I feel like its biggest contribution was the putting Iggy on on the words and and like it again. It's it's awesome when they do it, but nobody else except Ice Cube was able to do it in a way that didn't sound corny. And it also and that really comes down to the way your voice sounds. I'm just it, that like because Ice Cube has a voice where he could do whatever the fuck you he wanted, and you'd be like, yeah, no, I take him seriously, and so that's. You have to own it in a way. Yeah. It's kind of like with, with Snoop, with, with Izzle. Like, he owns that in a way that, you know, yeah, no, I get that. That really goes with what Snoop's doing today. Yeah, Snoop did, does, uh, did a, a lot of other stuff, too, though. And and yes. this kind of has that one that one thing. And, it, I mean, I do think that lyrically, it's this is underrated because of how frivolous it is, or the subject matter is. But there's but a like, great deal of complexity in that. Frivolity. Yeah, yeah. It, like I'm. That's not a knock against it for me. The fact that it's just like taglines from commercials and cartoons. It's hard to make that stuff work together, and like they they rap very quickly, which is hard. Yeah, that, that's <laughs> definitely like these these rhymes are tongue twisters, and like they're it, stunting on that front. It's very much one of those things that like this is an album that if someone says anybody can make a rap album, I'm like, "Oh yeah, do this." Like do this and don't just trip over your over your words. Like the the technical level of just being able to say these lines is is up there. Um so and it's I mean you can definitely tra- I think you can trace like machine gun flow from this to some extent even though like this isn't that fast. It, it it's that same being able to just say the just physically say these words together yeah <laughs> and and in this way is is and really i have tremendous impressive. tremendous respect for that because i get tongue-tied very easily so, so give me a number i i think 44 i think oh. it goes between pablo honey and the globe yeah that's fine so all right cool so dos effects dead serious not the only DOS Effects album of the 90s, but I think the only one we're going to do because it does get more mainstream after this as far as just their their sound. But Dead Serious is a very good album. If you've never heard it, go back and give it a listen. It, it's going to sound a little corny at first to modern ears, but like it's really good and you just have to like let it wash over you and, and appreciate the fact that he does extended rhymes about Connect Four and Sandwiches and and makes it like cool <laughs> yes the, I, I recommend if you do listen to this album start with they one effects even though it's not the first song on the album because i think you will teleport yourself into the mindset with that song yeah that one is definitely the most stream of consciousness of the whole album it, like it just it's so discursive and again extremely frivolous subject matter but like when you start like connecting the dots and seeing how they get from A to B, it's it's really cool. This is poetry, damn it. It is. All right, and we'll be right back to talk about placebo. back and our second album this week is from 1996 it is the debut album by placebo which is called placebo and this one is all yours adrian it is indeed all mine all right so i i am going to preface this entire segment by saying if you were a teenager when you first heard this album it's really really great and it is great in a way that you especially if you are a queer teen you will resonate it will resonate with you for the rest of your life and no amount of oh those lyrics are cringy is going to stop the fact that it's hit a part of your soul at some point that made it fi- things feel a little bit better because Brian Malka was giving a voice to some real complex anger and disillusionment that to you be fair these are needed. less cringy lyrics than most of placebo's output and I think that Natalie hasn't listened to black market music or Sleeping with Ghosts in a while. Sleeping with Ghosts is my favorite placebo album, so I I do give it more of a pass than I give most of placebo. That being said, so this album was recorded was 
they was released in 1996. A lot of people think that Placebo was earlier on in the 90s, but they really weren't. Uh, so Brian and Stefan, who they are the two consistent members of the band, even from the time they formed to now, they met in Luxembourg at a boarding school. And then they met again and started a band in 94, but they didn't actually start recording music until 96. Most of the songs of this album were written in 95, which speaks a lot to, I think, Brian Malko's particular dislike of the of the cringiness that he identifies in the lyrics. He would he has expressed some sentiment of wanting to go back and fix some of them, and I get that, but I think it would it would tarnish it in a way. I want it to be the way it is. So, yeah, this was their their, their debut album covering a wide gambit of having sex with robots, being queer, having weird attractions, not understanding your body, really loving Jean Genet. Like, it's... And for, because of that, it just hits me in a nostalgic place, even though it's it's more just straight up rocky or like pop rocky than like the rest of their music will be. It's not quite as glam like tinged as like later placebo will be. There's not as much Sonic Youth, but there is like like those little spatterings of Malko's appreciation for Sonic Youth. Oh, I think there's a lot of Sonic Youth. <laughs> I don't know. I think it gets more deliberate here. I just think it's I really think this thing from Sonic Youth is cool and then th- that there's a conscious decision later on. Uh, I'm trying to figure out what the original name of this was going to be because I didn't write it down. Well, while you're thinking about that, I will say that Bruce Pristine is the most Sonic Youth. Okay, yeah. No, that that one is. And that was the... They really liked that song. And that song was actually released as a single in 97. So they had... There were five singles from this album. So it was Come Home, 36 Degrees, Teenage Angst, I don't even think is on the version we listen to. Yeah, it is. It's the second song. Right, right, right. Yes, it is. Sorry. <clears throat> I forget about the names of placebo songs. Nancy, Nancy, Bo- yeah. Nancy Boy, then Bruce Pristine. And I like all of those songs. I like most of those songs. I'm not big on Teenage Angst. Which it, is okay. It's fine. I don't dislike it. It's just kind of there. I, Come Home is so fucking great. Come Home is like the best placebo song <laughs> That's... First song on the first album, they nailed it. They could have shut it down there. <laughs> oh. I like I like 36 Degrees, even though it doesn't really... It's not the best song ever, but the video is very unsettling. It's like Brian's head coming out of water, and he's, he's like rage singing with his head barely above water, and that was a very effective imagery because it's about, like, the human body is around 37 degrees Celsius, which is about 99 degrees and Fahrenheit. And so being just running cold, be, being cold-blooded, you know, not very deep, but I enjoy it. So this album was produced by Brad Wood. And I just, I'm pointing this out because he also produced the first two Sunny Day Real Estate albums. And God damn, does that show. It, it sounds it does. so much. Well, Sunny Day Real Estate sounds so much like this. And I, it made me wonder, like, did a lot of the early emo bands, like, cite Placebo as a big reference? Because this is such an emo album. I I don't think they did, because I think they were drawing from their own not-so-blatantly queer uh, upsets. So the other name of this album was originally going to the name was originally going to be body politic yeah that makes sense it it does and i think it's better that it's just the eponymous title uh well but... anytime brand malco tries to get poetic things have a 50 50 shot of going very badly look brian malco feels feelings very clearly and he is going to sing about them even if those feelings are i'm very confused about this i mean there's a song called teenage angst come on and he admits that it's for that mindset. Like, there's no pretension here of that it being, like, some, like, anthem for people in their 30s. This is an album that is talking about a lot of just teenage shit. And that's fine, but, like, to call us on Teenage Angst is just, in 1996, 
like you shouldn't have done that that's it's so on the nose and artless and just i don't know but then lady of the flowers you know i which is just directly our lady of the flowers lady of the flowers would be my least favorite song on the album if not for swallow which my only note for swallow is complete horse shit that's fine that's <laughs> swallows whatever i swallow's like so bad I like Lady of the Flowers. So the first time I listened to this, I didn't realize that I had my uh, Spotify on shuffle. And so I listened to third to Come Home and I'm like, fuck yes, Come Home. This song's so fucking good. And then Swallow came up next. <laughs> and I was like, this is the second fucking song on your album. And I wanted to just throw this album in the garbage and refuse to review it. And then finding out it's the last song, well, the last named song then there's the the hidden track that i guess they've retroactively called hk farewell which is way better than swallow even though it's like 18 minutes of piano noodling which isn't on my vinyl version of this album yeah it was it was the hidden track on on the cd which is fine I, which I, I have that i i have heard it before yeah i don't like give credit or take away credit for hidden tracks uh, and also this one is fine like Placebo has a history of, like, their hidden track being somewhat better than the track that preceded it. This well, it couldn't be much worse. <laughs> yeah. Well, this is the same for uh, Black Market Music, which we can't talk about on this show in a formal capacity because it came out in 2000. So I'm going to say it now. Uh, Black Market Blood. I fucking love that, the, the hidden track. It is terrible. It was my MySpace song for a long time. That, that's the, the mindset I'm in when I'm talking about Placebo. It's the only mindset you can be in when you're talking about placebo. <laughs> like, it, it's astounding to me that this band came before MySpace because they are the most perfect MySpace band. They are. And I I, I readily admit that this was really part of my, my, you know, teenage years. And this album, not quite as much as Without You, I'm Nothing. But I really like Nancy Boy. I don't know. It's it's not it's not a subject that really particularly pertains to me, but there was something in it that just made my brain tingle. It's it's, it's not a particularly good depiction of the topic at hand. Uh, but and Brian openly admit like readily admits this. Like he would like to rewrite that song at some point, or he wished he could, he wishes he could. I don't, and I think he can't, given the, the how much. People give stigmatized re retooling songs. Yeah, I, I don't think you should do that either. Um, and I think Nancy Boy's really good. Like it, it's, I, I think the chorus gets a little into cringy Brian Malko territory, but like not that bad. But also think about when he was writing this. He was, you know, a very spry, uh, femme guy in the in Europe in the mid nineties and. There's a lot of anger and a lot of weird, fucked up feelings that come with that. Yeah, I mean, the fact that the song was on a relatively mainstream release in 1996 is oh, crazy. This, this album did, like, gangbusters in Europe. It didn't do well here, and not com comparatively. Because it was, it sold, let me look at the charts here. Yeah, it was number five in the UK. And it 50 and 33 in Greek, in Greece and France. And it went platinum in the UK, but it sold 30,000 copies in the US. So in the US, people didn't have this. But if you were a queer person in the UK, Brian Malko spoke to a particular kind of anger and angst that you were having. <laughs> yeah. And it, there's just... I mean, I think this adds to the success of Placebo, but also adds to my dislike of the lyrics is it... It has real, like, messy theater kid energy. Yeah, I can't deny that. Like, it's painfully earnest, like, pretend a little pretentious, but not, like, horribly pretentious, but, like... And when I say pretentious here, I very specifically mean I feel like a lot of times he thinks he is really nailing it, and it's really cringy. <laughs> so I think Bionic, he fucking nailed it. You know what that song's about? I, I saw... That apparently it's about a robot fuck. I don't know if that means it's about... I think that there's... Well, in, in the actual term for phrasing of that sentence, it's about fucking a robot. Okay. 
Well, so I, I got the impression that maybe he, what he meant by that was like when your partner tells you that like you have to compete with the sex toy. Yeah. Because the line hard, I actually love the line harder, faster, forever after. Like I think that's like fantastic. Unless I'm mishearing that. No, you're you're not mishearing. Yeah. Like that's the best lyric Brian Malko has ever written. (laughs) Oh. I, the best lyric Brian Malko has ever written. I can't say on this show. So, but it's it's in the song "Slacker Bitch," which was going to be on this album originally, but was replaced with by "Nancy Boy." When Stefan was like, hey, man, I think this song's probably a little too hard. Goes a little too hard for this album. And then they eventually went, yeah, okay. But it's... I've, I've known people that, that those lyrics, such as I know what lyric you're talking about, and it applies. I've We've both known those people. Yeah, no, it's just, it's just that chorus slaps, and anyone here hears that song and likes placebo goes, oh yeah, that chorus slaps, and you can't say it. So it's... But you get where the anger's coming from. And I think that's why I like his handling of queer issues and along all of his, all of Brian Malko's music is that it's it's not pretty. It's not glamorized in any way. It is very raw. It is how you feel in that moment. And yeah, I like that. And I liked that at the time because there was a certain way queer people were supposed to behave, right? You're always supposed to be burdened, or you're always supposed to be cheerful for the cisheads. You're always supposed to be something that you're not. And the music that puts glitter on a bruise and has smeared lipstick and a heroin addiction, like, it just, I don't know, that really speaks more to a broader queer experience, which is, I mean, him loving Jean Genet is probably part of that. And I think Genet also has... A lot of that anger, but just from a different time frame, time period. So, yeah, I don't know. I like that aspect of it. And that's why Placebo still speaks to me, even though I listen to it now and go, yeah, I really was a messy uh, theater kid. You know, just just my wife calling me out on this podcast. It's fine. <laughs> Everything's fine. Well, you were never this messy. <laughs> no, I was the one who was saving the messy theater kids. Yeah, and like, it's... I it's hard for me to I don't think there's any way I can say it without like sounding like I'm really minimizing other people's suffering but like I there is a part of me and always has been a part of me that just wants to like slap Brian Maldrow and be like get the fuck over it and I think the time frame and the way in which he grew up is a different experience than what we've had yeah, and, like, I don't want him to be Morrissey, but at least Morrissey was, like, funny about it. Well, it, And a lot of Morrissey's lyrics can be interpreted as very cringy, but I think I feel like he was, was, I, I don't feel like this so much now, but I feel like a lot of time he was in on the joke, and that made it okay. Whereas I feel like, again, Brian Malko is just so, like painfully earnest about everything and like just not a trace of irony anywhere and that makes it kind of like that's what makes me want to be like hey could you please fucking lighten up a little bit (laughs) he he does lighten up later on i mean and i'm just gonna say my piece on black market music here there's a song called commercial for levi which was used in levi commercials and the lyrics of that song are filth filth and i love it I love how just you're the one whose shower is always golden. You're the one who's always choking, choking Trojan, like filth and so called commercial for Levi. And I, the joke's there. It's very obvious, but I enjoyed that. I enjoy the way that that was, that comes across. And yeah, he's not witty. But that's okay. I don't need all of my lyricists to be witty. I do prefer it. My favorite lyricists are some of the wittiest people in music. But sometimes just writing an emotion down and having it not sound exactly like my own cringy poetry uh, is is nice. It's slightly less cringy than me. I don't know about that. 
It's, I don't know. It's hard for me to think of any lyricist who is cringier than Brian Locko. <laughs> uh, have you read a lot of metal lyrics? Because if you could actually understand what they're saying, a lot of those lyrics are very cringy. I, it's the placebo. It just hurts. Like with metal, I'm like, yeah, this is dumb guy shit. With placebo, it's like you think this is incredibly smart and no, it's he doesn't. really bad. He doesn't. He like, this the thing about Brian Mucko. It's like, you can say this stuff, but he fucking admits, yeah, that's not a great thing that I did there. Like his most popular songs are songs that he fucking hates now because he just listens to them and those, I wish I hadn't written it that way. I wish I'd done better. And that's, that's the reflection of someone who, I mean, he's no Andy Partridge, but like, he has that same mentality of like, I'm never doing that again because I just cannot be that again. And there's a very like firm line between black market music and, and sleeping with ghosts where placebo's tone grows up and that's okay. And the, the band is still good. I haven't listened to any of their newer stuff. I stopped listening around ashtray heart came out, which was the original title name of the band. But I'm willing to go and give it another, give them another go. But they did grow up in a way that I just wasn't resonating with me anymore, and that's okay. I I like the dramatic cringiness of these early albums, and this album in particular is not quite as cringy as you know. I will I will admit, without you, I'm nothing. Is yeah, no, this album is not that bad with the cringiness. But there's a little bit of like just confusion, anger, and lack of place in the world in this album that I think is very relevant and I think is what makes it better because there there is actual hunger and anger underneath these lyrics yeah Bruce Pristine is the only song where like my skeleton wanted to tear out of my body and run away at the at how cringy I thought the lyrics are and it's not as bad because the music like just kicked so much ass in that song even though it's like it, it is a specific Sonic Youth song like it's not just inspired by sonic youth like i actually thought like when this uh the first time it came up and i wasn't looking at the playlist i was like man that album was short it just bounced onto a sonic youth album and like i think it's something off dirty Mm -hmm. um but yeah it is like a ripoff of a specific sonic youth song but it's like it's okay because so good (laughs) even though the lyrics aren't and, like, I think Nancy Boy is fine for the most part, lyrically. And, like, it's it's good alternative rock. It, it kind of, I said it sounds like a, a pop punk Smashing Pumpkins song in my in my notes. I'm glad that they abandoned some of the pop punk later on because I just don't think it suits. But this was also, I think, Brian trying to figure out how to play and sing at the same time. So the songs progressed once he figured got into a good rhythm with that. Yeah, and that's something that is a problem for me with Placebo is that like there's not much going on musically in in the earlier stuff. And again, uh, Sleeping with Ghosts, I feel like is where it starts to turn around. But like like a lot of the songs are just, and it's probably a function of them being a three piece. And but it feels like they write everything for can we play this live. Mm-hmm. And they don't really add a lot. I, I think that's why um, I know is like really good because that is a song where they experiment with being in a studio more than anything else on the album. Yeah, like there's acoustic guitar, there's congas, there's a fucking didgeridoo <laughs> in the background, but it's it's very like Jane's Addiction sounding to me, and it's the only time. I can think of that I listened to a placebo song and was like, man, this sounds like Jane's Addiction. <laughs> because like they're usually a lot more simple than that. Like it's usually more like da 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 like Nancy Boy. <laughs> um, yeah, there, and there's a particular like aesthetic quality to the placebo songs that are like that. He they do progress and like I think that's why I like them overall too, is that you do get to see how their style changes and they grow up through their music and a lot of that comes down to how brian treats playing a guitar and trying to sing at the same time what other components did they bring in what did we learn to do in the studio who did we talk to to progress our sound and it's it's nice 
Yeah, and also just throwing this out there because it's I think it needs to be mentioned. Like thirty six degrees, one of my notes for it is it, it's the template for every pop punk song for the next decade. Yes, and like I I want to say that because whether anyone knows it or not, this band did influence your shitty pop punk band in the early two thousands. <laughs> like you got it, you got that influence from this somehow whether whether it was direct or indirect somebody knew this album and wrote those songs and then they got ripped off by everyone yep and like i hear a lot of the promise ring in this album too um which again goes back to my like early emo bands had to have been listening to this this record yeah like sunny day real estate and the promise ring in particular sounds so much like this yeah, I I never want that connection to be made outside of this podcast because I don't want any emo children trying to emo adults now. They're all emo adults now. They're all my yeah. age. And I don't want any of them trying to lay claim to placebo because fuck off. But like how did they not? Because it was not American. That was the thing, is like a lot of the a lot of the emo bands that got super popular here were Canadian or American. And Brian Malko was just such the prototypical emo scene kid. He was though. too gay. That's the thing. He like he's bisexual. Yeah, he he, too... he actually had sex with men as opposed to just. Yeah, he was too queer. He was too <laughs> dirty. Like there wasn't a a studio like you know meticulously crafted aesthetic on this. He was wearing tank tops. He was wearing mini skirts. He had a shirt that says "I'm evil" while sucking a lollipop and having center parted long black hair, like. He was a fucking nightmare in a way that like a lot of a lot of emo kids come from like good little Christian families. And I hate to say that to the emo kids that have got out of their good little Christian families because they weren't all that good. Uh, but there there was just something that was dirtier, harder. I was fucking ridiculed to shit by people who listened to My Chemical Romance and all the other shit for liking Placebo and David Bowie. Like that was that is that is probably why I have such anger towards emo. <laughs> yeah, I get it. And like, if you want to talk about cringe, like my chemical romance is is probably even cringier than than Brian Malko. Maybe not at his absolute cringiest, but like, I'm sure I'd raise a, a decent person. Like it, it's yeah, it, I, I, like who also had to grow up out of it. Like, right, it's okay. He he wrote some pretty decent comics too when he was like when he like took over Vertigo basically mm-hmm. for DC. Like. Yeah. And was writing Doom Patrol. Like, it's pretty good. Yeah. And Brian Malko's situation is that he, uh, Placebo was in a, was in Velvet Goldmine doing a Roxy Music song and Eddie Izzard broke his goddamn brain. And from that point on, like, no one was, he was just going to do his own thing. And I fucking love that. Eddie just existing made brian malko like even more certain of just being this person (laughs) and i love that and so that's why emo kids didn't listen to placebo some of them did and they didn't want to let anyone know someone did somebody oh they all got into the the emo bloodstream somehow it's like it's it's like the influence of you know sparks a lot of these really influential people listened to sparks but never talked about it but they totally took stuff that the male brothers were doing like just is true it's just placebo just feels so much like the missing link between sonic youth and dinosaur jr and like the early emo bands Mm -hmm. and it's it blows my mind like listening it hadn't really hit me until i sat down and really listened to this album but listening to this i was just like the this has to be like it had they had to have heard this right i've never heard any emo band cite placebo as an influence but they had to have but remember this this album only sold 30,000 copies in the US and emo is not an exclusively a US phenomenon but it is a lot of the entries are you know north america based yeah and so i think that's just the truth of it is that no one bought it here no one was going to admit to listening to it here meanwhile in the UK Placebo's second drummer, uh, Stephen Hewitt, was being very angry that they were being labeled Britpop. And on this album, no, they're not Britpop, but they get Britpop. They by got a lot Britpopier with "Without You, I'm Nothing." But they did have a similar complaint of like to Momus with with Britpop, which is like it's just so macho. Which 
to americans like it doesn't sound like most brit pop doesn't sound macho it is but like in in terms of english culture yeah definitely it's the people who listen to it and i think that's why placebo is such a defiant experience because they're they're not macho They, they are they are queer people by and large doing very queer things and fuck you if you have a problem with it and with that where would you like to rank this well, how high would you be mad I put it? I think it goes below Flood. I think it goes below Gold Afternoon Fix, which is 22. Well, I was going to put it above Play by Moby. Okay, I'm good with that. And if you have an argument for higher, I think that's okay. Uh, I would go as high as below Jane's Addiction. Um, I, I mean, I think it's better than that Laws album, but you know my feelings that that one's too high on our list um it's tough for me to put it above fifty thousand bc by shudder to think because that album's so musically accomplished mm-hmm. oh, I, I totally i totally understand I even think... though this like hits more directly than than like shudder to think is definitely more of a you have to sit down and think about it because what they do musically is is so much more complex i just think it exists in that realm and i'm willing to hear a firm argument from you yeah on it. Um, yeah, it's it's hard because this section of, of our list is, like, really personal to each of us, like, where things got ranked. <laughs> yeah. Because, like, I think this is better than What's the Story, Morning Glory. But I, mean, I don't want to put it above Ritual de la Habitual, really. So that's, that's what I'm running into here. Like, part of me says, like, like right above play is the place for it, because I, I don't really think it's better than Tragic Kingdom. But I won't be heartbroken if you feel really strongly that it should go above Tragic Kingdom. Because I think I would, I mean, I would put it above American Recordings. Yeah, and I'm, and I'm torn on that, but I, I also agree with that. And so I think we could possibly put it above American Recordings, and I think that's a reasonable place for it. Yeah, I, man, I think Tragic Kingdom is, like, a lot better And it musically. has a, a broader appeal, but there's just something plucky about Placebo that I think makes it a better overall listening experience even though i admit that i agree that tragic kingdom is very good yeah but like i also think this is like i like this a lot more than without you i'm nothing which is an 18 well without you i'm nothing's never moving and but yeah like again that one is not it is ranked correct not where i would put it, it is um, correctly. and i would put this above saying so but i wouldn't put it above twoism um so yeah, this is this is gonna be like the bitch ass part of our list for ranking stuff. It's because, because it's all shit that got like that got denied the top ten, and we totally like completely disagree on every ranking in this part of the list. So uh, yeah, I'm I'm fine with it going above American recordings because that it, like I I don't really think it should go above Tragic Kingdom, but I do want it to stay below Fei Wong. So. I think I think American Recordings is put in the right place, even though you would disagree with that. So yeah, no, I mean I I liked that album. I just I, I don't have a great love of just dudes sitting down with an acoustic guitar and singing. Even though I think the songwriting on that album was incredible. Um, so yeah, if if you want to put it at thirty three, so it'll be between Anxiety by Fei Wong and American Recordings by Johnny Cash. I think, that, I think that's a good place for it. Okay, cool. Yeah, I, I'm much more willing to put this one, like, like this is a placebo album I'm much will, more willing to go to bat for than Without You, I'm Nothing, which I, like, just didn't like that much. I think you're wrong about it still, but I understand. <laughs> and maybe, I don't know, maybe if you go back and listen. I have I cannot remember at all what I said about that album. I, I might have said, like, oh, it's really good, I just hate the lyrics. But, yeah, you 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 did you did whinge about the lyrics a bit. I, I'm gonna whinge about the except on this placebo album where I think the lyrics are mostly fine. Meanwhile, Brian Malko whinges about all the lyrics on this album. <laughs> <laughs> See, I just he and I just have different ideas of what lyrics should be. All right, so taking a look at our top ten, which is unchanged for this episode, but it's our tradition. Uh, number ten is Superstition by Susie and the Banshees. Number nine is Spooky by Lush. Number eight is Very by the Pet Shop Boys. Number seven, The Philosophy of Momus by Momus. Number six is 69 Love Songs by the Magnetic Fields. 
Number five, Liberation by the Divine Comedy. Number four is Get Lost by the Magnetic Fields. Number three, Reading, Writing, Reading, Writing and Arithmetic by the Sundays. I'll never get used to calling it that. Number two, Nonsuch by HCC. And number one is Promenade by the Divine Comedy. If you want to see our complete list, you can go to bit.ly slash nr1990s. That's bit.ly slash nr1990s. And if you want to listen to all of our albums that we've ever ranked, you can go on Spotify and search for In Our 1990s. You can find our two playlists, and you can also find every episode of the show there. But if you want to subscribe on your podcast listening app of choice, that's even better. And if you want to uh, subscribe on Spotify, you can actually do that too, which I didn't really realize until just recently. But what are you going to be adding to our massive playlist for next week hadrian i'm bringing hot by the squirrel nut zippers also a very good album i'm bringing something that neither of us is gonna like very much probably which is the end of silence by the rollins band i i do i do subscribe to the henry rollins philosophy of when you put a record on you fucking listen to that record and you shut the fuck up it has to be actual vinyl. You put it on a record player. You sit in a room and you listen to that record. Well, I will not be doing that because I don't have that kind of time in my life. But we well, will I... be listening to to that album in our distracted way. I, I will be listening to the "Too Hot" by the Cold Net Zippers on vinyl in a room all all through in <laughs> silence. So. I've listened to that album a million billion times, but um. So I don't. I wouldn't even have to listen to it to do an episode about it, but I will because it's a good album. Yes. All right. Well, we will be back next week and talking about hell and lying. I guess. <laughs>